Hello there and welcome to episode one of season two of Sweet Vegan Spills the Tea podcast. Yay, we did it. We're back. Uh, I am so happy about that. I am so happy to be here as always. And I'm really excited because this season I have some really cool guests lined up that I think you're going to enjoy very, very much and a bunch of very juicy topics, which I'm also very excited about, including today's topic, sexual healing. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so hello, hello to all my lovely listeners. Those of you who are loyal and have been here since season one, thank you so much for still being here and, um, being back here and to the new listeners. Welcome. Welcome. So happy that you're here with us. I think this topic is cool because let's see if I can explain this and the way that I'm thinking it, but Basically, like sex is everywhere and we talk about it all the time. We see it on TV, you see it on social media, you see it in advertising everywhere. People sing about it, people make jokes about it. It is exploited in advertising, you know, to promote everything from realty companies to cheeseburgers. (laughs) Like it's absolutely everywhere, which is awesome and fun, not the exploiting advertising part so much, but the other stuff. But we don't talk so much about the challenges that, you know, come up or the health issues that prevent us from having the most awesome, satisfying, fulfilling sex. So I am going to talk about that today. In order to have the best possible sex, we need to be in the best possible health. When you're healthy, you have more energy. You also feel more confident. You feel more comfortable in your own skin. You're more likely to want to be touched or seen, especially naked, and especially with the lights on. We look better. Uh, It just, it shows on the outside. We feel more attractive. We just are more attractive. It just works like that. So we're going to talk about some of the most commonly brought up sexual health issues. We're going to talk about some of the things we can do about those issues. I'm going to talk about food, obviously. (laughs) Always talk about food. Uh, the foods that are helpful, the foods that aren't the sexy foods and the not so sexy foods, basically. And I have a list of some herbs and spices um, that you can take that will definitely spice up your life. So let's get right into it. I'll start with sexual dysfunction, which usually when people talk about that, they're referring to men. Men not being able to get it up or keep it up. So not being able to achieve or maintain an erection. And um, the thing that's sad about that, aside from the fact that, you know, everyone should have good, fun, fulfilling, healthy sex, if that's what they want, is that a lot of men don't actually get help for that. They don't seek medical attention for that because a lot of younger men just assume that it's because they're really stressed out or they're under a lot of pressure or they didn't get enough sleep last night, or they drank too much last night, or maybe they have performance anxiety. And while all of those things can contribute uh, to erectile dysfunction, that's not always the case. And sometimes there's an underlying health issue going on. And so it's really important that that be addressed if it persists, if it's not just when you're stressed out, and it's not just when you're tired, or you drank too much last night. It's definitely something you should look into. Men who are middle-aged and older also often assume that maybe it's just a normal part of aging and they just have to live with it or they take a little blue pill which can be helpful in the moment because it certainly can help a lot of men achieve an erection that they weren't 
able to without the pill or maintain an erection once they have one, but it's not treating the root cause of the problem, which can actually be dangerous because erectile dysfunction is actually um, commonly a symptom of cardiovascular health issues. So basically, if you don't have good, strong, healthy blood flow, then you aren't having good, strong, healthy erections because an erection is literally your blood rushing to the tissue of the penis. And same with women. Women need strong, healthy blood flow to the pelvic area in order to be adequately lubricated and in order to feel that engorgement in the genitals that makes you feel aroused. So um, if you don't have that, uh, it could be that you have to take better care of your heart. Don't just take better care of it. Make sure that it's okay. But also <laughs> there's plenty of things you can do, which we will talk about. And actually I've already done an episode in season one on heart health. So you can go back and listen to that also. Um, because if there's plenty of things you can do to, to, you know, um, to, to manage your heart health, but also even to reverse damage that's been done already. And, um, if just saving your life is not inspiring enough, like maybe just the fact that you can have better sex and like firmer and, and more sustaining erections and also potentially have not painful intercourse because you're adequately lubricated, like that could inspire you to take better care of your heart. So basically just, you know, what's good for your heart is good for your genitals. Fertility or infertility. Um, it's not that uncommon. One in six women experience fertility issues and the cause in a opposite sex couple where they're trying to conceive naturally is pretty much split down the middle between whether the fertility issue is on the side of the male or on the side of the female. And it can be especially difficult because there's just so much at play. Maybe you have always imagined that you're going to be a parent and you can't imagine your life any other way. And it feels like you're being completely derailed and, um, and you have no control of the situation. Maybe your parents or extended family or your partner have very high expectation and you feel like you're disappointing everybody around you, not just yourself. Um, and that can be extremely difficult a lot of women have a very hard time separating their identity as a woman or even their worth as a woman from their ability to conceive. And it can be extremely distressing. In a couple that is trying to conceive naturally, um, this can also put a tremendous amount of stress on their relationship and also on their sex life. And it can become this sort of ugly vicious circle because in order to conceive you need to have sex but you know in order to have sex you need to maybe not feel like this is a chore and a job that has to get done and I know we see like on tv there's like sometimes cute movies where they're like it's time to go and they're being super adorable about it because they have their schedule and and it's still hot and steamy and exciting but the reality can be really different for couples one partner might just end up feeling very used <laughs> The other partner might be very frustrated because they don't feel aroused. It's just a job. It's just an expectation. It's a. It's just a pressure that's being put on them. 
Um, and I mean, we just talked about sexual dysfunction. Sometimes it can, you know, be to the point where it's just physically impossible to even have sex because there's that much pressure being put on you, especially when there's so much at stake. My first piece of advice in that situation, even if it feels very counterproductive, is just to ditch the trackers and the apps and the thermometers and the schedules and everything and just try and bring the fun back into your sex life. I promise you, the more you stress out about it, the less likely you are to get pregnant anyway. So you might as well take a step back, breathe and make some space for, you know, a fun um, opportunity for connection and intimacy with your partner. Being at a healthy body weight is really, really important. Someone who's very underweight or very overweight is going to have a harder time conceiving. Over-exercising also can impede fertility. So if you're training for a marathon, maybe you're not going to have as, as much of an easy time conceiving and maybe it's time to sit down and kind of reevaluate what your priorities are right now. Um, this one I just learned recently and I didn't know about, but gum inflammation, there's a, a link, there's a connection with infertility. So definitely floss every day. And make sure you're up to date on your dental cleanings and checkups and things like that. And that can be really helpful. Eating primarily whole foods. So cutting out as much of the processed foods in your diet as possible. This is super important for everybody. Everyone should be doing this. But uh, just as an example, uh, in one particular study, 39% of women who did not uh, regularly eat fast food or who avoided it completely were more likely to conceive within a month of trying. Whereas women who included fast foods regularly in their diets were twice as likely to not have conceived even at 12 months. Um, basically everything that you would do if you were pregnant to take care of yourself, it's a smart thing to do before you get pregnant. You should be in, you know, your most prime state of health before you've been starting to conceive. You don't need to wait until you find out you're pregnant to quit smoking and stop eating Big Macs. Shift the focus completely from getting pregnant so that will take off some of the, the pressure if possible. And just put the focus on, you know, optimal health. And that will be very helpful. On the side of herbs, do be careful. I'll talk about this later or I'll not in great depth, but I will probably mention this at least once or twice again during this episode. But like, do be mindful if you, if there is a chance that you're pregnant, there are some um, medications and also some herbs that you want to avoid. But uh, spearmint tea can be helpful. Apparently it can help induce uh, ovulation and white peony is used to regulate ovulation and support fertility in Western and Chinese medicine as well. So might find that would be helpful. Having a really satisfying sex life can also be challenged by a hormonal disruption caused by things like PCOS, which is polycystic ovary syndrome, endometriosis, fibroids, for example, there are others. Um, and these things can literally, the hormonal fluctuations can literally shift our moods and our, and our perspective, our state of mind, but also just dealing with all of this, the symptoms from those things can also just take sex off the table or make it extremely challenging um, emotionally, physically, et cetera. So between one in eight and one in 10 women have PCOS or endometriosis and both of which can be extremely, extremely painful. They can cause acne, 
missed periods, heavier periods, more painful periods, fertility issues, lower libido, as I mentioned. Um, and uh, they can actually elevate the levels of insulin in your body, which causes, among other problems, the ovaries to produce more hormones like testosterone and elevated levels of testosterone in turn leads to issues like hair growing in places that maybe you don't want it growing like on your belly or your breasts or your face. Um, <laughs> it can cause regular menstrual cycles, weight gain. And the thing is that over 50 cases of PCOS go undiagnosed and untreated or diagnosed and untreated or diagnosed and treated with a birth control pill and no other information or guidance whatsoever. So that can be extremely frustrating for a lot of women. If this isn't the first episode you've listened to, if you're a longtime listener or you've listened to a few, even probably even just one or two other episodes of this podcast, you have definitely heard me preach about gut health. This episode is no exception. Um, and that's because it's important and it's connected to basically every, practically every function in your body. Uh, optimal gut health is a game changer for anyone, but particularly for people who have PCOS, they are no exception. In fact, the gut microbiota itself significantly influences your hormone levels. There are lots of hormones that are synthesized and even produced in the gut. So uh, since PCOS is all about your hormone levels, for example, uh, insulin is a hormone that controls the sugar levels in your body. And high levels of insulin are not only a side effect of PCOS, but they likely play a role in causing and maintaining PCOS. So making it another vicious cycle. And the cycle also puts PCOS um, sufferers at a higher risk for type 2 diabetes. So if you have PCOS, optimal gut health, stress management, and blood sugar regulation are basically your dream team. They're all interconnected. Some research suggests that a gluten-free diet can relieve up to 75% of symptoms of endometriosis. So if you're trying that, just be mindful of the other ingredients that can be in gluten-free foods. Often the gluten-free version of things has uh, elevated um, amounts of sodium and also of sugar. So do make sure that you're checking your labels if you are eating gluten-free replacement type foods. Adaptogens like holy basil, reishi mushroom, ashwagandha, I would say are a must have for people with PCOS because they lower cortisol levels and improve blood sugar metabolism. Um, white peony is generally used for infertility associated with PCOS, um, but has also been shown to positively influence low progesterone and modulate estrogen and prolactin. So white peony you might find helpful and curcumin regulates the immune system and reduces inflammation and helps to reduce endometrial tissue. So I would definitely give that a try too. Perimenopause and menopause. I find this topic extremely fascinating. I'm learning a lot about it right now, not just because I'm 52 years old and um, embarking on this lovely journey myself and have many friends and peers who are in that age range as well, but also just because um, I find women's health very interesting and um, one of the things that I find 
just fascinating is the amount of stuff that goes on, especially during this time, this perimenopausal, menopausal time that no one tells us about our entire lives. So perimenopause starts at the very beginning of the transition into menopause, which can go on for years for some women. And it, and it continues until one year past the date of your last period. So technically you're in menopause when a full year has passed since your last period. During perimenopause, this window, you may miss periods. You may have a, two periods in one month. You may not have one for a few months, but technically you're not in menopause until you have gone a full year without a single period. So during that time, well, first of all, people just tend to call that whole time menopause, which it's not. But during that time, there can be a host of effects or symptoms that happen. And some of them are so bizarre, but the ones that we hear about the most, I would say are hot flashes and hot flushes, maybe irritability, uh, less libido. Like those are probably the most common things. There's a few other things we hear about a bit more. Maybe you've heard of like thinning hair or drier skin or things like that. Symptoms I knew nothing about before were extreme joint pain, um, extreme PMS symptoms. So feeling like you're practically pregnant every time you're going to get your period, even though you don't know when that's going to be sometimes. <laughs> like breast pain to the point where, well, nipple sensitivity, especially to the point where even in the shower, you feel like you need to protect yourself from the water because it's just too much. Um, well, there was one on the tip of my tongue a second ago and I already forgot it. Oh yeah. Well, that's one too. Just losing most of your nouns. So I'm perfectly timed. Um, just forgetfulness, but also forgetting words, having a hard time expressing yourself, which I am finding extremely frustrating because I used to pride myself on how eloquently spoken I am. And now I find that I spend more time looking for words in my head than actually just saying what it is I want to say. Itchiness, just itchiness. I don't know what that's about. I don't know what causes it, but that's a symptom of menopause. Just being itchy, just feeling extremely itchy. The, look, the list is endless. There are so many weird things. Acne, um, as though you're a teenager all over again. Um, okay. Anyway, I'm not going to actually list them all. I want to, but I can't even remember all of them. There's so many. A lot of them can get in the way of you having a fulfilling and, 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 you know, satisfying sex life. Um, Part of it is because we are le literally less fertile. So just probably have less of that intense drive that we have at the beginning of puberty. You know, it's it, the less fertile we become, the less that drive is. But many of us still enjoy sex and still feel attracted to people and still want to have these experiences and enjoy intimacy but many of the symptoms of menopause make that very challenging. And um, I mean, you can literally feel repulsed by your partner who you normally find very attractive. And maybe you feel repulsed by them for your entire perimenopause. Or maybe it's like a fun roller coaster ride where you're extremely attracted to them one day and the next day, the thought of them makes you dry heave. Maybe. Um, <laughs> but also, 
if you take the feelings of hypersensitivity that a lot of women feel, so just being touched is too much, the feelings of irritability, the feelings of anxiousness, and you combine that with the fact that sex can literally be painful because um, even with adequate lubrication as we get older, first of all, one symptom is not being as adequately lubricated, um, but also when we get older, especially perimenopausal and menopausal, there can be atrophying, there can be thinner tissue, less collagen, less elasticity in the vaginal canal and around it, which can also cause hypersensitivity, but it can, and, and just an irritability. So like the friction is, is more damaging, more causes more inflammation, more irritability, but you can literally tear as well. So you imagine it's hard enough to be touched you're feeling very anxious, you're feeling very irritable, and then it's actually painful when you do have sex. It can be brutal for some women. So you might find that a vaginal moisturizer helps. Um, you might find that using a water or aloe-based lubricant is helpful. And if it doesn't, uh, there are also topical hormone creams that some people find really helpful that you can talk to your gynecologist or your doctor about. Highly recommend lymph massage for circulation, especially if you're feeling that numbness, that tingling, or if you're feeling like there's not that adequate flow that's like making you feel aroused. Not the blood flow specifically, but just that circulation, you know, that warm, cozy feeling. Again, adaptogens help with stress. Uh, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, like maca, it improves your sex drive um, and your mood. Ashwagandha also for sleep and stress and anxiety. Motherwort combined with lemon bulb promotes sleep and calms anxiety and reduces hot flashes. Some women have excellent results with black cohosh if you can get over the smell. I don't know if it's just the one bottle that I bought, but it smelled like mothballs and also gave me terrible headaches. So I could not take it. It was not helping me at all. Soy can be great. I know a lot of women are scared to eat soy because somebody told them or they read somewhere or Instagram insisted that soy is terrible for you and will give you breast cancer. That is not true. You may have heard that soy has estrogen in it. It is phytoestrogens in soy. It's actually cancer fighting. Um, and there's been tons of studies and research done showing that women in places like Japan where they eat soy pretty much every single day report almost no menopause or premenopause symptoms. And in fact, people who eat soy regularly um, have massively reduced percentage of symptoms. So don't be scared of it. If you like it, eat it. Tofu, edamame. There's lots. I'll put a list. I'll put a list in the show notes for you of ways to get soy into your diet highly, highly, highly recommend. Okay. So those were some of the very common, um, sexual health issues that come up for men and women. And, um, here are some general rules or tips or ways that we can deal with this that will help all of these situations. First of all, and I've mentioned some of them very briefly already, but I'm going to go into them a little bit. Achieving and maintaining a healthy weight is super important, super, super, super important. And I said the word healthy, so I hope you heard me. And I'm not just talking about a healthy weight. I'm talking about achieving it in a healthy way. So over 
of people who do crazy crash dieting not only gain all the weight back that they lost, but they often gain even more on top of that. So please don't do that. Don't go do jump on like keto tomorrow or Jenny Craig or whatever. Just please don't do that. That is not helpful or healthful. Just focus, just like what I said earlier about um, pregnancy, instead of focusing on getting pregnant, focus on optimizing your health. Instead of focusing on the amount of pounds that you need to lose, focus on optimizing your health. Okay. That does not mean starving yourself or going on a smoothie diet or juicing fast or whatever. Okay. That was my impassioned speech about healthy weight. <laughs> uh, but not only can it cause, um, being at an unhealthy weight can cause a host of, of health issues, including, as I said, cardiovascular issues, but it can also affect our confidence and it can make us feel uncomfortable in our own bodies. It can make us feel very self-conscious about being seen or touched, uh, especially when we're naked. Um, so I'm going to leave that there. I'll leave that there. Next, glucose levels. Very, very important to everyone, everyone. Uh, but I would say even extra important for people with PCOS. So for you, no intermittent fasting, unless you are so pro at fasting and you know exactly how to do it without freaking out your blood sugar levels, no intermittent fasting for you. If you have PCOS, no intermittent fasting there. Um, please avoid high glycemic foods like refined, um, like uh, not refined, processed uh, grains and flours and refined sugars. Um, you need adequate sleep because metabolizing glucose is difficult when your sleep is dysregulated. And, um, I just have like 10 notes here saying PCOS, PCOS, PCOS. So I really cannot stress enough, obviously, even to my own self, how important it is for you. If you have PCOS, everyone, but especially those of you with PCOS to manage your glucose levels. And I'll give you a little tip actually for that. If you are, you haven't eaten in a couple hours and you're going to have a snack and you're going to have a piece of toast or um, some other food that has a high glycemic index, try and balance that out or even fruit, try and balance that out with some protein or something that will help regulate your blood sugar so that it's not just spiking and diving. We really, really don't want that for you. Exercise. Um, being fit does not mean that we all weigh 99 pounds. It doesn't mean that we all are so muscly that our neck has become one with our collarbone. Uh, it does mean that we're taking good care of ourselves, that we feel good, that we're able to move, um, and that we're enjoying life. We have energy. We can get up the stairs without panting, that we're listening to our bodies and we're making good choices. Anaerobic and aerobic and resistance training are all really important. So that moderate exercise, that high intensity, not intense intensity, not impactful. It doesn't have to be, but just like where you're really moving and then resistance training, which is strength. Super, super important. Uh, and it affects your testosterone and your estrogen levels, by the way, which all of you have. Sleep, sleep, sleep. Sleep is so important and not always easy if you have any of the issues that we just talked about, but sleep is super important. Um, good hormone health improves your sleep. Sleep helps to regulate your hormones. Beautiful. We produce most of our testosterone and our growth hormones when we're sleeping. Testosterone spikes in the morning and cortisol also 
melatonin in the evening. And some of this happens in a window of mere minutes. So if these spikes happen at the wrong time, all hell breaks loose. Okay. So you need a good quality eight hours of sleep. And there's actually a relationship between uh, REM sleep and fertility, but we'll do an, we'll do an episode on fertility as well. If you want, let's do that. We'll do that too. Um, by the way, a lot of the symptoms of premenopausal and menopausal women like weight gain, irritability, and anxiety can also be caused by disturbed sleep. Uh, and that's frustrating for you because one of the symptoms of perimenopause is disturbed sleep. Beautiful. Sleep hygiene examples would include um, having, you know, having a good morning routine right away. I know that sounds wrong, but it's not. Just starting the day with a good um, routine in the morning. So cutting out caffeine might be an idea for you. Uh, if it's not too cold out, you could try going for a circ walk in the morning. So if you go out first thing in the morning and just tell, just even if it's only for 10 minutes, just so that your brain and your hormones and everybody in here that keeps you healthy and well is acknowledging, oh, okay, the day has started. My cycle has begun. This is the morning. This will help you to sleep better when you go to bed that night. If you live in Montreal and it's winter, <laughs> like I do, and it is, uh, it's really cold outside lately. Maybe you don't want to go outside in this. Um, you could try sitting, doing your morning routine, having your morning tea or your coffee or your journaling or whatever you're doing near whichever window in your house gets the most sun. So that as the sun comes in the window, you're having the same effect as if you, it's obviously ideal to go outside. You'll also get some vitamin D, but if you can't do that, then just try and do it near the window. My mom actually has a beautiful ritual that she does in the morning. She does like her meditation and her prayers with her beads and stuff. Uh, every morning, she's the first one to get up very early riser like me. And she goes into the sunroom. And when she starts her meditation, it's still dark outside. And then as the sun rises, she's there doing her prayers and her meditation. So by the time she's done, the sun is out and her body has kind of woken up with the sun, which is really beautiful. Um, make sure that the room that you sleep in is really dark when you go to sleep so that you're not being woken up by the street lamp or the neon lights or whatever's outside your window. If you live in a city, especially. Uh, make sure the room that you sleep in is cool, but not cold. So not hot so that you're sweaty and you're tearing off the blankets, but also not cold. When my room is too cold at night, I literally wake up feeling myself completely tensed up and irritable if I'm even able to fall asleep in the first place. So like a nice, comfortable temperature. I can't remember what the recommended temperature is. It's like around 19, 19, 20, 19 degrees Celsius. Try to do something relaxing before bed, but um, not bad. Just try and do something relaxing before bed. Not stressful is what I wanted to say. So don't work right until the second that your head hits the pillow. Um, and if you're like me and you find zombies extremely stressful, maybe don't watch The Last of Us immediately before you go to sleep, like in bed watching it to fall asleep too, like I did last week. Terrible idea. In fact, don't watch anything right before bed. <laughs> if you can limit your screen time in the evenings, turn the screens off a couple of hours before bed. I know that's not easy, but it is ideal. And then avoid stimulants like caffeine and um, caffeinated drinks and sugar, 
before bed, try and avoid alcohol as well. If possible, that will wake you up plenty at night. Um, okay, so that's sleep. Stress management for so many reasons. Um, for your sanity, for hormone regulation, for gut health, and all of the things that that affects. So if you can meditate or do yoga or go for long walks or listen to calming music, get therapy, take hot baths, take a minute to breathe, just remove yourself from everything else that's going on so you can just take some deep breaths. And if you are feeling extremely anxious, especially, for example, if it's a, an effect or a symptom or a side effect of one of the things that you're going through, try to take a minute to check in with yourself and your perspective. Like how, how stressful is the situation that you're actually in? Or are you predicting stress? Cognitive um, behavioral therapy can be super helpful for that as well. But stress management, huge, huge, huge. Also, I mean, for sleep. So you're not waking up in the middle of the night with the wheels violently turning in your head. Um, cause it's really hard to fall back asleep when that happens. Um, and now we're going to talk about my favorite food. If you're enjoying this podcast and would like more information on my holistic health and nutrition services, or to book your free 15 minute holistic health and wellness call, you can reach me by emailing me at sweetvegancoaching at gmail.com or by using the contact form at www.sweetvegan.net. So nutrition, so food, um, any foods and herbs that nourish and stimulate our circulatory and nervous system can do beautiful things for our sex life. And if you are experiencing sexual dysfunction caused by poor cardiovascular health, if you're experiencing mood regulation issues, if you're suffering with fertility issues, et cetera, et cetera, there are nutrition changes that everyone that I mentioned earlier can make that will help, if not reverse the problem altogether. So I will start with the food we won't we won't we're going to talk about sexy food too don't don't worry we're going to get there but first just from a health perspective whole plant foods are correlated with healthy microbiome gut health which we talked about and increased fiber intake um improving and binding the excretion of sex hormones getting eight to ten servings of fruit and veggie per day it's easier than you think it sounds like a lot eight to ten servings of vegetables and fruits a day that sounds huge i will put a link in the show notes so you can see exactly how many servings of which recommended food groups a day on average people should be getting but i just want to tell you that getting all your fruits and veggies is actually way easier than it sounds if you have a green smoothie in the morning and a veggie salad at lunch or for dinner, you could probably hit all your all your necessary fruits and veg for the day. Um, the doorbell just rang, so the dogs might start barking, and I apologize. Foods that are high in antioxidants, such as berries, pistachios, dark chocolate, etc. Um, there's many of them. They 
they actually boost blood circulation in the penile area, helping you feel stronger arousal and erection. In fact, and I'm not saying do this. I don't think you should do this. It's just to give you an example to what point these antioxidant foods um, can be helpful. There was a study done that showed that men eating three to four handfuls of pistachios a day. This is why I was saying I'm not suggesting this. I don't think you should eat four handfuls of pistachios a day. But just hear me out. Men eating three to four handfuls of pistachios a day experience significantly more blood flow to the penis and significantly firmer erections. Eating pistachios also helps to base your cholesterol levels. So do eat some, just not like four handfuls. Eat some pistachios and some other antioxidant foods. Um, chocolate is especially beneficial because it has, oh, I cannot say this word. I'm going to try. Methoxanthines? Meth meth okay, well, I can spell it for you. M-E-T-H-Y-L-X-A-N-T-H-I-N-E-S. Methoxanthines. Anyway, whatever. They activate your libido. Have them. Eat them. Chocolate. Uh, it's also rich in flavonoids, which support sexual function. So, I mean, I should have just said that because it's way easier to pronounce. Omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids help metabolize your hormones. Just important to keep them balanced and not go heavy on the omega-6s and glow on the omega-3s. And I will also put a link in the show notes to uh, a post on my website where I explain all of that and give you plenty of examples of omega-3 and omega-6 rich plant-based foods. Uh, metabolizing hormones. Yes. So do B vitamins. For example, B6 supports ovulation, progesterone production, cycle regularity, and fertility. Vitamin C promotes ovulation also. So vitamin C, there's lots in citrus foods like grapefruits and oranges. And uh, there's also vitamin C in tomatoes and bell peppers. In fact, one bell pepper has more than your full day of, of recommended vitamin C in it. So you could just slice up the bell pepper, dip it in some hummus. There's all your vitamin C you need in a day. Zinc and vitamin E also help metabolize hormones and they nourish our adrenal, thyroid, and pituitary glands and play a role in supporting and nourishing the testes and ovaries. Zinc is well known for boosting the libido and sperm production and qualities in men as well. Foods rich in folate are heart protective and thought to lower um, a harmful substance that is an abrasive amino acid that irritates the lining of the arteries and encourage plaque buildup. And folate-rich foods include green leafy veg, uh, like spinach and Swiss chard, kale, uh, dandelion greens, mustard greens, arugula, you name it, you know them. We've been over this. You know what to eat your, your, your greens. Uh, but also cruciferous vegetables like Brussels sprouts and cabbage and broccoli. Eating low glycemic foods, which we talked about earlier. So eating foods like whole grains instead of refined white bread, eating brown rice and wild rice and quinoa instead of eating white basmati rice, for example. Um, eating fermented foods like sauerkraut, kimchi, um, kefir, they help rebalance your gut bacteria and increase diversity. And an apple a day may not actually always keep the doctor away, but it can sweeten up your sex life because it's associated with improved vaginal lubrication and general sexual function. Why? Apples are high in polyphenols and other antioxidants and phytoestrogens. 
which support an anti-inflammatory environment. I'm sure there's other fruits uh, that act similarly. There's really tons of them. I just didn't go looking for a list for you, but you can Google it. Watermelon is a rich source of citrulline, which the body converts um, to arginine or arginine, depending on how you like to pronounce it. And that supports vascular health. And as you know, vascular health, good vascular health promotes good blood flow, which promotes all the good things. The cool thing too, about eating these beautiful whole plant-based foods in order to have a better sex life is that you will automatically improve your overall health and you'll just feel better in general. So Oh yeah, not getting certain nutrients. So having a deficiency uh, in certain uh, vitamins and minerals are actually risk factors for sexual dysfunction as well, which I forgot to mention earlier. So um, for example, vitamin D and iron. So if you're deficient in vitamin D or iron, you um, a symptom can also be sexual dysfunction. And I recommend to all of my nutrition clients to take vitamin D unless you live in a very sunny climate and you're outside for at least 20, 30 minutes a day getting vitamin D, I recommend a supplement. Some foods that are specifically fertility related, if you're a woman, for example, are foods that are high in folic acid and vitamin C, oranges, kiwis, tomatoes, broccoli. And for men, I think I had here somewhere, oh, foods that are rich in zinc, vitamin E and omega-3. So the nuts and the beans and the seeds and the green veg, um, to name a few. Not sexy foods are the, the refined grains and flours I talked about earlier, refined sugars, animal proteins like meat and dairy products like milk and cheese derived from cows and sheep and goats. In fact, a recent study found that successful pregnancy and fertilized egg outcomes are decreased in people reporting eating meat. Another not sexy food, saturated fats, which are in most animal products, but also in um, vegetable, all animal products, sorry, but also in vegetable oils and tropical oils like coconut oil and palm oil. A recent Harvard study found that an increase in saturated fat intake of just 5% led to a lower sperm count of 38%. Holy crap. So again, animal products like meat and dairy, vegetable oils, tropical oils, you don't want those things. Uh, not technically a food, but alcohol also, if you can limit as much as possible, if not omit entirely, you are doing yourself a massive service. And not at all a food or a beverage, but worth noting is that nicotine promotes the formation of artery clogging plaque in your penis's blood vessels and constrict them, which is why men who tend to smoke a lot are more likely to have trouble achieving and maintaining erections. So now we're going to talk about sexy foods or aphrodisiacs, as some people like to call them, which are thought to work in several ways. So there's like the psychological aspect, you know, you're eating this sexy food, so it makes you feel sexy or it looks sexy, or you've created an environment or an ex experience on purpose with aphrodisiacs. So, you know, it's exciting. Um, some commonly known aphrodisiacs actually possess nutrients that support the production of sex hormones. And some of the more common 
I'm just going to name the plant-based ones because it's a vegan podcast, but I'm sure you've heard of some of the non-vegan aphrodisiacs, but ones that you probably have heard of would include things like chocolate and and, uh, chilies and pomegranate seeds. And I'm trying to think uh, of more really obvious ones, but some that I just learned about that I've never heard of were avocados, bananas, watermelon, figs. Oh, figs I'd already heard of. Asparagus, uh, almonds, celery, pumpkin seeds, uh, garlic. Yeah, there's others, I'm sure. But maybe you've heard of some of those. I haven't. I never heard about bananas. That's for sure, for sure, for sure. But basically what we call aphrodisiacs are foods that are actually um, relaxing or herbs that are relaxing, grounding, invigorating, warming, like gets your blood or your chi moving, um, and herbs that clear your mind, that are nourishing, and that calm the nervous system. I think I just said that already, right? Calming? No? Okay, good. That. Um, And then herbs and foods that support your hormone balance and promote blood flow, which I can't say enough today. Blood flow, blood flow sounded so ugly before today and now it just sounds so beautiful to me um and then herbs and there are herbs and spices that have been used for centuries um to enhance people's sexual drive and performance a lot of these things you already have in your house and your pantry probably so that's exciting um but just like any other medication or remedy i just wanted to point out that not all herbs um, play together nicely. And some herbs should not be taken in combination with certain medications. And definitely, as I mentioned earlier, not all herbs are recommended for folks who are pregnant and or breastfeeding. So always, always, always check for the, um, contraindications because it's important just like you would with a pharmaceutical. Um, and if some of these herbs that I'm about to talk about are completely unknown to you, you can talk to your herbalist and find out which ones work work best for you. I'm just throwing out a general list for you. So basil is used to support circulation and stimulate sexual desire and boost fertility. A lot of people have basil basil in the fridge or the garden. Cinnamon is used to reduce blood sugar levels, which can cause a decreased libido. Saffron has a sub, this is interesting. Saffron, it's all interesting, but saffron has a substance that stimulates neurotransmitters in the brain and the libido. And there was a study that found that saffron can reduce PMS symptoms. I know we didn't talk about that today. It's one of the things I pulled out because I'm going to do a whole episode about it. Uh, But it can reduce PMS symptoms for by up to 50%. Saffron has fewer side effects than Viagra, but the effects of topical saffron, this was another study. So what did it say? Oh yeah, it was a topical saffron gel it had one percent saffron and the rest was whatever the gel was made out of um the men who were middle-aged put it directly on their genitals an hour before sexual intercourse and found that it led to significant improvement of enjoyment and function um it's been suggested that this is because it enhances nitric oxide production in the arteries and nitric oxide increases your, that's right, blood flow. This is all very wonderful and exciting. Um, But again, a temporary solution to a problem that you should 
look into obviously if if it is because of your arteries like we're not just going to throw on some saffron and call it a day you need to find out what's going on get your blood flowing like it should be in general all over your body nutmeg nutmeg has a stimulating fragrance it really does it smells so beautiful and it sweetens your breath and increases your body heat cardamom is aromatic and high in cineal which increases your blood flow <laughs> Garlic uh, contains high levels of allicin, a compound that improves your blood flow. Damiana is used uh, for a calming effect on the nervous system and sexual organs and to help the production of testosterone and increase sensitivity in the genitals. And there is a drink, a liqueur, an alcoholic beverage uh, that is made in Mexico called Damiana. And it comes in the bottle of like this beautiful curvaceous round sexy love goddess boobalicious mama uh i've not tasted it yet though because i can't find it where i live um but the bottle is just beautiful it makes me want to try it hawthorne is used to support heart function and for its effects on blood flow which may improve sexual function as well as promoting female engorgement which we like Ginseng is used to support blood flow in the brain and sexual organs. Horny goat, despite its disgusting name, is used to promote neural activity, sexual desire, and to increase sensitivity in the sexual organs and to increase the production of sperm. Ginkgo, love ginkgo, is used to promote circulation, which increases cerebral and genital blood flow, as you know, because we all learned that. Um, and the rose can help us connect to our emotions and ease distress and bring balance to the heart, which is beautiful. It also just smells beautiful and um, promotes not only healthy, normal blood flow and the balance of hormones, but also healthy expression and processing and release of emotions. And then lastly, fenugreek. Um, this is very interesting. Uh, fenugreek significantly boosts blood testosterone and improves the sexual function in men such as doubling the, the more research more studies doubling the frequency of morning erections and in women significantly increasing sexual desire and function significant reduction of menopausal symptoms like hot flashes improvement in painful periods and while it is not recommended for pregnant women not recommended for pregnant women when used postpartum it boosts production of breast milk up to 100%. And in case that all wasn't enough, fenugreek can make some people's armpit sweat smell like maple syrup. It also has cancer-fighting properties, as many of the foods and herbs that I mentioned do, but we'll talk about that some other day. That wraps up episode one of season two of the Sweet Vegan Spills the Tea podcast. I cannot thank you enough for being here. As I told you on the top of this episode, I'm just so excited to be doing season two and i'm so excited for everything that is to come if you have any questions if you have any comments or even requests please don't hesitate to reach out to me you can go to sweetvegan.net and hit the contact button you can reach out to me on facebook i'm on instagram at underscore sweet vegan underscore i would love to hear from you and in the meantime have the best most satisfying, fulfilling, and beautiful sex ever and take really good care of yourselves. Bye. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. You can follow us on Instagram at underscore sweet vegan underscore or on the Sweet Vegan Coaching Facebook page. Feel free also to check out sweetvegan.net where you'll find a ton of free recipes, articles, meal plans, and the Sweet Vegan Spills the Tea digital magazine. Have a great day and take good care of yourselves.